welcome to account-based marketing. This podcast is designed as a collection of conversations with sales and marketing leaders sharing thoughts and practical tips for growing your most valuable customers. This series has been recorded as part of the launch to our customer buying index, where we codify 10 years of account-based marketing experience and provide a rolling pulse into the enterprise buying cycle. Hosted by me, Alicia Linden, founder and CEO at Momentum ABM. Welcome to Account-Based Marketing. This episode has been pre-recorded as part of a series for today's CBX 2020 Summit. Chief technology officers play a pivotal role in mapping the needs of an organization to make capital investments. So today I'm delighted to be joined by Andy Simpson-Piri, CTO at Cyberfork Group and former Chief Technology Officer at Lloyds Banking Group and Zurich Insurance. Andy, welcome. Morning. Good to have you with us. Um, before we get going, I thought it might be useful for, for our listeners just to unpack what, what does a CTO actually do? It's <laughs> a really good question. I think the role has changed quite a lot over the years. We're about 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, the CTO typically was head of technology change and may have encompassed a lot of pure tech, non-commercial uh, aspects to the role. I think the CTO these days is probably more commercially focused. Mm-hmm. So the CTO is is a, a leader that can demonstrate technology innovation and change and success within the business, um, but also somebody that really understands the business challenges, where the, as a board we want to be able to take the business and then put in place solutions that really map to those rather than being the gatekeeper for pure tech-run capabilities within the business. Got it. And you've worked as a trusted advisor to, to many executives and, and boardrooms in the businesses that you've worked in. What What's that relationship look like from a C-level perspective in terms of making decisions around technology investments? Have you gone to your peers with, here's something we need to do, and this is the case for change and the commercial value? Or has it been more of a collaborative experience? What, what's that look like? For me, it's always been collaborative, to be honest. So yes, the CTO should be absolutely bringing innovation and change and new ideas to the business. And in fact, that's that's what I sort of pride myself in doing. But we also have conversations with chairmen, CEOs, CFOs, name any of the C-suite and they come up with great ideas as well. So it really is coming together, discussing those ideas and pulling together a solution to take that forward. Yeah. And from a buyer perspective, something we see in really long sales cycles or where there's significant investment is the process of getting consensus, not just at the C-suite, but across the rest of the business can be quite drawn out. And depending on on how the organization is structured, what, what's your experience been of rallying, um, not just your, your peers and, and the rest of the C-suite, but also people inside the IT organization or across the lines of business? Yeah, and I've got to be honest, it's massively different per organization. And it is also massively different depending depending on which country or continent that you're operating in. So some of the businesses that I've worked with have been highly hierarchical, where you've pushed change and it's <laughs> sort of just been pushed out to the user base. <laughs> um, and some of them have been you know, really collaborative, really embracing and went to seek the needs of the user base and essentially the customer to you as a CTO. Yeah, it's interesting. So I was reading something recently about organizations right now, those that are quite hierarchical are struggling in this new kind of distributed way of working versus those that have an empowered and engaged workforce and the way that they're making those decisions are quite different. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's becoming more and more of a HR or people challenge than it was before. 
having the CEO all the way down to the, the cleaner, so to speak, is, is absolutely key to make the business successful in, in this modern way of working we have with COVID-19 and what yeah. will follow after this. I think it's, it's going to change even more and having people bought in to the direction that you want to take the business, the products, the services you're developing, take into market, your overall strategy, that's absolutely key. Andy, thinking about that comment you just made about countries and and building consensus can be quite different country by country. We have seen some interesting data from our index on the US compared to EMEA. Are there some countries that stand out in particular for you that are different extremes? Yeah, so you have some quite traditional countries, all areas within the country. So Switzerland, for example, is a very traditional country, uh, at least from pushing technology change from my perspective. In complete contrast to that, you think of Silicon Valley within the US and they run such a collaborative, agile experience. So the companies that really do practice what they preach there. Yeah. are fundamentally different from other companies that operate out of other areas of the world. That's at least from my personal experience. Got it. No, we definitely see a, a different trend in um, a Swiss-based company versus you know, Australian. They can both be banks, but actually they're running very differently in terms of kind of culture and engagement. And again, on the West Coast compared to the East Coast, again, we see some, some really marked differences. One of the things that we've seen in our data from a How do you um, rally people behind a a decision who's involved in a large tech buying decision is that over 15 people are involved in in making that decision. What's your perspective here? Have you seen similar numbers, lower, higher? Does it get higher when the the investment's bigger? What's that look like for you? Yeah, it really depends on two things for me. One is the the complexity and the impact level to the business. And the other aspect is definitely check size. So the essentially the rule of thumb is the bigger and more complex the investment in whatever you're investing in the more people tend to be involved whether that's right or wrong i honestly (laughs) couldn't comment and i think every process is different got it and i guess every every business from a what's the requirement and where's the outcome you either need to bring more people with you or not and part of it comes down to culture as well yeah absolutely and sometimes and i've personally seen this in the past there have been committees for committee sake and that that has actually delayed the pace of change so sometimes you you just have to be forthright and as as the technology leader or as the um the c-suite person that is responsible for, for change within the business, at least related to technology. Sometimes you just have to make that decision and move forward. Yeah. As the chief technology officer, did you run up against any friction across the C-suite, as in in terms of other people coming up with, well, we should be driving change using this technology, and, and it was something that you hadn't yet investigated, or there was already a, a solution in place? Yeah, I think there's two aspects to that. So, so first of all, yes, absolutely. Everybody's got some great ideas, and everybody... <laughs> has a view on technology these days it's no longer that it's it's parked away in the basement of a building but it really is forefront of the mind for everybody at the executive table and in fact most people within the business and actually most people within their normal way of lives think about technology in some way or another so so they do have those great ideas the second part is you getting the buy-in does change and and it is it sometimes can be a massive challenge to do so. I, I can remember in one of the businesses that I, I worked in, we wanted to push out a, a data center transformation program. And fundamentally, it was the right thing to do. But there were a number of people, a number of country leaders that just 
didn't really get what it meant for them and what the benefit was for them. So what we started to see was some form of shadow IT coming out. And it wasn't just people within the business creating that shadow IT function, but it was actually the business CEOs of that respective country that wanted to get things done. And the reason that the reason they were starting to do that is because they perceived group as group IT as being slower in terms of being able to turn around the change than they felt they needed for their respective business areas. So, which, which actually ran into a more fundamental problem for me is that it was how do you balance the security and needs of the business or the group as a whole, but also enable that pace of change for each of the areas of the business to, to be able to support them to go about their daily lives. Yeah, that's a fascinating topic. I think we see so many vendors try and get in through the, the kind of shadow IT or via a country route and actually group IT already have a direction of travel and it, and it doesn't necessarily, the two don't come together. What do you think the role of a partner or a technology vendor should be with, with a chief technology officer when it comes to persuading the, the rest of those the C-suite across those countries? Yes, it's a really good question. And I would say there's a fundamental word you've used there, which is key, is partner, not supplier. Mm-hmm. So what I would expect from a partner of any service within the business, especially technology, is those people to integrate themselves within the right levels of the business that truly understand what are the objectives and where do the business want to go in six months, 12 months, two years, three years, five years, etc. And then help the CTO and work with them as trusted partners to be able to create the right solution for that business. Whereas a supplier would, in my mind, would just deliver services that have been prescribed by the business themselves. And to be honest, CTOs don't know everything. Nobody really knows everything, which is why you have suppliers and partners and why you have that wider ecosystem in place to be able to support you. So being able to have that two-way conversation and actually sound ideas off each other before you push something out is, is absolutely critical for me. Yeah. In our data, we've seen that across a three-year period, on average, only one vendor or supplier becomes a trusted partner. Why do you think that data point so low? I think it's resistance within the business, to be honest. I think there's a lot of people that are worried that if they hand over the knowledge, the data, the information to that supplier or that partner, then they will eventually make themselves redundant as, as a capability and that, that that role could be outsourced. Um, that's actually a really good point. And a number of the guys that I've worked with for um, and people that have worked for me have raised before. They said, well, you know, if we hand over the keys to the kingdom, what does that actually mean for us? So I think there's a cultural and, and emotion conversation there rather than a pure capability conversation. Yeah. Do you think vendors could be doing anything to, to help accelerate that or make that happen? Is it about reassuring internal stakeholder groups? Is it about showing showcasing their value and how their role is is different to those internal teams? Yeah, absolutely. And and to be blunt about it, everybody within their role needs to be able to demonstrate success in what they're doing. It makes people feel good, but also it makes you more valuable to that business. And any partner you bring in, you know, bi-directionally, you need to be able to support that goal. So if if a partner can work with you to help you succeed, then by proxy, they will succeed as well. And the solution that you're trying to develop or deliver will succeed. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, I think interesting point that if you can showcase the value and, and if your your partners are successful, then the, the teams are successful as well. And it, it is a, a win-win. How, how do you get to that format? And from a innovation perspective, you've obviously taken ideas, new strategies, you, you've looked at business challenges and, and worked with partners to come up with best practices and, and solutions. What have you seen as the, the best partner that you, you've worked with? What, what have they done differently? Have they come forward with more industry best practice? Have they been adapting their propositions and offerings to, to more suit and, and kind of cut through and be more relevant for the organizations that you're representing? What, what have some, some of the, the key takeouts been for you? Yeah, I, I think you've actually summed up a few of the key takeouts then. And ultimately, for me, the, the ones that have been the most successful, and the ones that have been the most trusted and useful to us as customers, and the ones that actually truly listened. So there's listening and then there's truly listening. The people that really take on board what your needs are, what you're saying, and also the things you're not saying, and then being able to develop a you know a proposition, a solution to take forward with you. That that's where the best relationships succeed, and that's where that those relationships go on to deliver more and more product services to the business. Yeah. So your advice to vendors would be listen listen and listen again and, and ask ask the right questions uh, get get to that insight yeah absolutely and I, I i've worked for the supplier side as well so I'm, I'm conscious that there are objectives goals targets to be met etc but in the macro view yeah absolutely L- listen take on board what your customers and your partners want and need and then build an ecosystem around that And thinking of those vendors and, and partners that you've, you've worked with over the years, were there any real surprises for you in terms of how they presented themselves, particularly at that early innovation stage when you're bouncing around ideas, you're investigating new innovations? Yeah, I think I, I've, I've been in some odd meetings where people have stood on tables or worn Bermuda <laughs> shorts in. <laughs> and um, yeah, they, they, you know what? It actually captivates the mind and gets people listening to you if you do something a little bit different when you join the meeting. So, yeah, absolutely. But I think fundamentally, the people that have come to meetings with ideas, but also the background knowledge to be able to support and challenge and justify, I think that's been, for me, that's been been the most valuable meeting or session. Yeah. So from a, a vendor perspective, one takeout could be to come prepared with relevant ideas, make sure that you're standing out and not just rolling out the same old presentation or pitch deck that you, you take to every every meeting. Yeah, yeah, you've absolutely nailed it. And for me, and I'm probably going to say something contentious here, is that I don't like death by PowerPoint. Yes. If people turn up and start rolling through a PowerPoint deck to me, or in fact, if I'm presenting, I will hardly ever use a PowerPoint deck full of context and content Mm -hmm. because it detracts from the conversation it turns into a sort of one-way droll presentation a lot of people will disagree with me and and I get that but for me it's all about fostering a discussion rather than just a one-way push of information yeah I think sometimes PowerPoint in a a buyer seller setting can be seen as a bit of a crux for the the seller that if they put everything into the slide that nothing's missed and they, they've got all the salient points across but as you say it should be a, a value exchange it should be a conversation and actually you can't really do that if if all you're doing is transmitting yeah you're right so I'll give a good example of where meetings have actually worked really well so one of our organizations we deployed capability and um, enablement called flexwork that, that had a number of components to it but essentially one of the 
end results were people were going out to have walk-in meetings. And instead of being meeting within the four walls of an office or a predefined meeting room, they would go and walk around the block or walk around a business park and have those conversations. What actually happened there is you couldn't take a laptop because it was just <laughs> it'd be crazy to walk around with a laptop. So you didn't bring any slides with you. You brought the minimum of information, but what the end result was, you had a more proactive conversation and you actually made some real decisions there and then. Yep. And a lot of people you speak to will probably talk about the water cooler chats or the pub chats and the where, where the deals are really done. It's not actually in the meeting room. It's actually outside of the meeting room. And I think being able to have that discussion, the proper focused discussion, without emails, without PowerPoints, without all of the supporting literature, etc. I think that's where I found the most valuable and the most insightful. Yeah. And I guess you're also having more customised conversations to your own challenges versus the standard one size fits all. And Andy, you just touched on the some of the literature just there from a kind of sales process and what that looks like. What kind of content have you seen from vendors and how do you think it could be improved? It's a very good point. And every vendor is different. So some vendors are I spend a lot of time and money copywriting and making sure their content and literature is spot on, absolutely crisp. And, and yes, you can tell the difference. A very well thought out set of literature to support the conversation definitely goes a long way. I think for me, a lot of literature is off the shelf these days. It's the generic answer to a generic problem. I think what what I value the most personally is being able to have information that supports the conversation we're having directly. I'm not really interested in product decks in terms of what the generic capabilities of product X or service Y is. What I'm really interested is what are the key things that that partner can do differently to support my business? Yep. So make it very relevant, that, that customised proposition or, or offering that really does articulate the value. Got it. Absolutely. And just to go on from that, it, it can't just be a technology deck. It, you, you have to focus it on the audience it's going to. And often these things will find their way into the boardroom. So you need to make sure it's not just some deep dive technical configuration document because people won't really get the benefits of that. Yeah, we, we see a lot of that from a in, in the large technology deals that we're involved in where everyone wants to put every product sheet and data point into into a deck or into a business case. But actually, often when they're doing that, they're so focused on what they want to sell or market into customer versus actually what was the customer's challenge to begin with and how are we demonstrating value? And I think going back to your earlier point on persuading and engaging the, the rest of the C-suite, you, you've got to have a, a robust business case case, but also articulation of here's the value this is going to bring versus them going off and doing some shadow IT work or, or doing something completely separate from, from group IT. Yes, absolutely. And where, where do you think shadow IT is now? We, we see in some of our research that for the large deals in particular, anything over 3 million technology investments, IT departments tend to be more involved in driving consensus and selecting those suppliers compared to to what it was several years ago. What What's your perspective? Have you seen a shift there or is it getting bigger as a problem? Yeah, so I, I've seen it on both sides of the fence, actually. So within a couple of the large corporates that I've worked for, shadow IT has arisen basically because the need of the business and the need of change from the business or that respective business area has been faster or different to what group IT can provide. And there's been seen, I mentioned before that, you know, group IT has been seen as being slow or on delivering something that's not actually aligned to what the respective business area wanted. From the other flip side, I, 
I now work for a, a, and help run a cybersecurity company. So we focus on risk management of the business. So my own personal perception of this is that Yes, for larger deals and more complex deals, shadow IT tends to, or the, or the use of shadow IT tends to diminish. And that is, for me, down to risk appetite. The, the more money you spend and the higher the complexity, the higher the risk. Being the, being the lone wolf, that you know, the, the rogue agent within the business that pushes change, that's fantastic. You know, it's, 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 it's good to promote those conversations. But if something goes wrong, something can go severely Very wrong. wrong. <laughs> Yeah, and for those much larger, much more complex deals, that could fundamentally mean, you know, damage to the business in respect to being able to trade correctly. Yeah. Okay. So going back to your point earlier, that the, the two axes sound like complexity and, and check size, <laughs> two criteria points that, that vendors should really check in with themselves. Yeah, absolutely. But an old colleague of mine many years ago referred to a, a concept called fail fast. So that was instead of investing large amounts of money on very long, elongated programs, invest a small amount of money, test it out. And if it fails, the, the chances are you've lost very little in terms of time, effort, money, risk, etc. And then if it works, then extend it out. So I, I would say, yeah, the check size and complexity w- would impact the risk appetite, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But if you can put in in place smaller solutions, test it out, and then expand on those, I think that that's that's at least for me the way forward. A good roadmap and definitely what we're seeing from a kind of versus a big bang transformation approach, having an iterative roadmap seems to be the way that lots of organizations are heading. And from an IT department perspective, Andy, we've seen IT teams instigate more change than ever before compared to the business driving that change. What do you think is making this shift happen? Is it IT teams are closer to the business? Is it the business are trusting IT more than ever before? What's your take? I think the use of technology within every business is increasing massively. So before IT was a sporting role to the business, now IT is actually bringing new business channels into the organisation. So new ways to sell, new ways to market, new ways to deliver, new ways to interact, and new ways to support. So if you look at Internet of Things, for example, that has forced different ways of operating to business instead of businesses using technology to operate in a certain way. So because technology is now becoming more interwoven within the business, by proxy, that the IT teams just get more involved in those conversations. So they, their, you know, their budgets, their forecasts, their ability to be able to influence has increased and changed massively. At least for me, and what I've seen over the last five or ten years. Yeah, and you're quite passionate about vendors, partners taking time out to understand the business challenge and work with you as a partner. If you've got a customer where actually. The, the person you're dealing with doesn't know the business challenge and can't help you with that. How, how do you think vendors or partners should should go about trying to find out that information, um, trying to get close to the business? Should they be talking to more people, doing their own research? What What's your advice? I would say both of those, to be honest. If, if they just talk to the technology leader or the CTO or um, the, the chief procurement officer or, or whatever, just one person, they will get one viewpoint. If they talk to a number of people, they will get a balanced view across the business. So then the solution will be more relevant to their audience, essentially. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. Both of those things. 
prepare well and interact with more people where they can across the business. Yeah, we, we've seen some buyers who are leading a transformation or a project almost act as the gatekeeper and, and say, don't go go and talk to anyone else. Everything's got to come come through me. Have you experienced that before? You sound like you're, you're much more collaborative in the partners that you work with, but I'm sure you've had ex-colleagues or colleagues that have wanted to own everything and, and almost stop the vendor from going and having any any other conversations yeah, I've definitely seen that. And I've definitely seen both sides. And, and it has worked and it has failed in both of those scenarios. For me, I think there always has been that knowledge is power. And if there has been this way of thinking that a number of people perceive that if they retain and keep that knowledge to themselves without sharing, that they will retain that that power, that value to the business. Within reality, at least from what I've seen, it's completely the opposite. And it, with thinking about some of the, the partners that you've worked with over over the years, it's quite hard, I think, for any vendor supplier to get to a place where you're willing to shout from the rooftops, whether it's you know, speaking at their events or, or promoting them to your your own peers and your own network. Where, where you have done that, what's really stood out for the for, for you in that partnership? What's the vendor done differently to get to that status? <laughs> to be blunt, they've delivered what we've asked for. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think I've always been willing to give back to any vendor or partner what they give to us so if they're willing to donate time resources and be part of what we need as a business then I'm willing to get involved in their business and and be able to give something back. Would you classify yourself as an advocate of any any particular vendor or or service provider have you been in that position where you've raved about them to all of your your own network or has it been more of a kind of select you've done a good project that's worked well and then you've promoted the outcome no i've I've definitely raved about certain service providers and said they're excellent and in fact I'm, i'm willing to admit i've fallen on my own sword a couple of times from doing that where i've said x vendor is fantastic and then they've proven actually they haven't been that great. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, absolutely. It's a difficult position. I think our, our research tells us that if a, a vendor or a supplier wants to get to that position, they have to make sure that they're articulating their value clearly from the from the get go, as in when they do the sale. And then also the, the second part of that is, as you touched on, delivering on the promise, not selling the, the moon on a stick and then uh, coming short. You've obviously delivered and initiated a lot of projects, programs where, where you're driving business impact what's the trigger for those been is it has it always come from your your own observations and and discussions at the boardroom or has has there been a, a vendor that's come to you with a brilliant idea like what are the triggers to, to those those new ideas becoming projects I would say all of the above to be honest I, I've never been I've never held back from wanting to embrace ideas that others bring to us and I, I personally believe that all members of the c-suite should be open to those conversations. So yeah, in answer to your question, all of the above, yeah. as long as somebody comes up with a great idea, for me, it doesn't really matter who's come up with that idea. Mm-hmm. You're willing to embrace it and um, explore the potential business value. Yeah, absolutely. And But for me, it's having people bought in. And to go back to your other question, it's all about being able to deliver what you agree. I've seen so many technology-related projects fail because something's been sold on the basis of trying to get the lowest cost in. Right. And then they've ended up going through change control in delivery. And you know the scope's changed, the time's changed, the budget and the forecast have changed. And ultimately, the perception from the business hasn't been that great. 
Whereas in reality, you know, if everybody's bought in from that idea and can deliver to that idea, it's, it's generally successful. Yeah. Is that the role of where procurement have got involved and the, the scope has shifted and then actually what, what ends up getting delivered is different to, to the objective that you set out to do? Not really, actually, to be honest. I, I've I've always found procurement a positive part of the co- positive component within the process. I, I've always found them to be helpful and enigmatic. I think for me, it's where the scope's changed because the business requirements have changed over time. Yeah, And I do, I do tend to find, so I've worked for large corporates, I've also worked with small businesses, and I find that if a programme of work takes much longer to do, then typically the business will change and will will evolve over that time. So the requirements will change and that causes problems to that programme. Yeah. And Andy, just to, to wrap up, you've worked both supplier side and buyer side. What would your advice be to any suppliers looking to work with chief technology officers, looking to engage large, complex enterprises like, like Lloyd's, like Zurich? What would your one tip or one takeaway be? Listen. Listen and engage, I would say. Be part be part of that relationship and be part of that discussion. Brilliant. Love it. Fantastic advice, Andy. Thank you so much for joining us today. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Brilliant. Me too. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. This podcast is brought to you by Momentum ABM, the account-based marketing consultancy, transforming how sales and marketing teams grow their biggest customers. You can learn more at MomentumABM.com.